Welcome to the Gospel for Life. We have four Treasure Valley pastors committed to showing that the gospel is not just for that religious part of your life, but rather it's for all of life. You never graduate from the gospel. I'm Josh Bales, pastor of the Well Church, here with Russell Herman, pastor at Cloverdale United Reformed Church, Phil Moran, pastor at Christ Presbyterian Church, and Jonathan Van Hoogen, pastor at Spring United Reformed Church. Now, if you'd like to find out more about us or catch past broadcasts or get information about our annual conference, you can find us at ReformationVoice.com. All right, so we are back this week. Last week, we talked about the sovereignty of God. This week, we are talking about the love of God. And again, we have Pastor Alan Burrow with us from King's Congregation. Thanks for being with us today. Yep, really glad to be here, Josh. Yeah, Russ Herman is um, on vacation, but of course, we have Pastor Phil Moran and Pastor Jonathan Van Hoogen with us. So, as I promised last week, uh, we were going to look at the love of God this week. And, uh, you know, we, we did these weeks back to back because I... We, we do want you to feel a little bit of the tension that the Bible presents us with. You know, for many of us evangelicals, uh, the idea of the sovereignty of God can come into conflict with how we think about the love of God. For instance, uh, the Westminster Confession of Faith and the London Baptist Confession both affirm that God, for the manifestation of his glory, predestinates some men and angels unto everlasting life, while others, being left to act in their own sin, are for ordained to everlasting death. Now, we come across these all-encompassing statements of God's rule and reign over planet Earth, and we may very well ask, where is the love of God? But on the other hand, many in contemporary culture have purged God's love of anything that they find uncomfortable. The love of God has become sanitized, democratized, and above all, sentimentalized. I can't even speak. Um, As D.A. Carson has said in his book, The Difficult Doctrine of the Love of God, he says, nowadays, if you tell people that God loves them, they are unlikely to be surprised. Of course God loves me. He's like that, isn't he? Besides, why shouldn't he love me? I'm kind of cute, or at least as nice as the next person. I'm okay, you're okay, and God loves you and me. So those are the kind of the two extremes. So talk through this with us, brothers. On the one hand, we hear of God's all-encompassing sovereignty, and we can begin to question whether or not he's loving. But on the other hand, culture can reduce him only to love him and strip him of everything transcendent. How do, how do we get here? Whoa. Uh, well, you know, how did we get here? We'd have to, you know, uh, go, go through a history, you know, history of the uh, philosophy and theology of the last 500 years. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, beware, beware of any theology uh, beware of any so-called Christian teaching that is fully satisfying to the modern secular mind. Uh, it, it's just you know it's just not going to be mm-hmm. uh, because we have a we have a bad habit of taking our modern assumptions and importing them into the Bible. We we carry them with us into the Bible and then define biblical term biblical terms using modern assumptions, and that's that's always a bad beginning. And and we do that w- with the love of God as well. Uh, let's not. Difficult as it may be, we need to take our modern romanticized and sentimentalized ideas of, of the love of God, put them aside when we enter the Bible, and, and recognize that what the Bible is going to show us is infinitely better, infinitely superior, and infinitely more satisfying to the human heart 
than the rather shallow assumptions we may have brought with us. So that might be a place to begin. Part of it is because we uh, set one attribute against another, and we we forget that when we're talking about God, we're we're talking as the well. The old confession said that there is one only simple and spiritual being which we called God. And then uh, all these attributes, when we say simple, we're not saying... Simplistic. Yeah, simplistic. That in his, uh, for instance, in his his love, he's all holy, he's all just, he's all omnipotent, he's omniscient. And all all these attributes are the same together. Mm -hmm. And and so we just don't divide him up into pieces like, Mm -hmm. like... He's part holy. He's part just. He's part, yeah. um, you know, loving. He's part sovereign. You know, he's that in its completeness. Yeah. And so, I think we get to these places because we we end up uh, posing one attribute off the other, and then also it's our own sin and pride and ego that we think we're worthy of his love, mm-hmm. as if we're we're owed that love. When the truth is, we've been natural rebels against his regime and his reign, and we're dead in our trespasses and sin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I think maybe for me, how did we get here? I think part of the reason why we're here today in modern culture is because uh, the church, uh, as much as God loves the church, often the church has failed to preach the whole counsel of God. Mm-hmm. We failed to yeah. preach the law. We have failed to preach the gospel. We have failed to do expositional preaching. Mm-hmm. We've reduced preaching to something that the Bible did not intend for it to do. And when that happens, culture, uh, Christian culture um, necessarily becomes ignorant of God and his ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, last week we were talking about the sovereignty of God, and it's just... But we ended up last week talking a lot about the love of God because you can't talk about one mm-hmm. without the other. You know, yeah. I was just thinking about it. You know, and it might be a way to sum it up to say that God's love, which runs as deeply within the being of God as His sovereignty does, and that's why John can say in First John, "God is love, not God is loving. God is love." He's also all-powerful and he's sovereign. So we might say that God's love directs his sovereignty uh, and that God's sovereignty makes his love effectual. Because if God only loves us and he doesn't have the power and the ability to make it effectual, it doesn't end up doing us any good. you know. And then if we have uh, God just being raw power and he's not good and he's not loving, then he's got all power but – Look out. Mm-hmm. So for me personally, um, now um, as a pastor, I've only been in the Reformed faith for 10 years. And for me personally, I have often found it difficult to speak about the love of God. Um, and uh, so that cliche that says God hates the sin but loves the sinner, um, I don't believe that squares with biblical data. Um, in fact, if you just look at the Psalms alone, 14 times in the first 50 Psalms, we're told that God hates the sinner, that his wrath is on the liar, and so forth. Especially notably, Psalm 5.5 says of God that you hate all evildoers. So in the Bible, the wrath of God rests both on the sin and on the sinner, John 3.36. Yet, we see in other places in Scripture where God is clearly loving and caring for his creation, including rebellious sinners. Jesus said in Matthew five forty four through 45, But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. 
For he makes his sun to rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the just and on the unjust. So let's talk about this a little bit. How can God both hate rebellious sinners and love them? How are we to understand that? Uh, maybe I can offer just the, the beginning the beginning of an answer, and then I'll, then I'll punt to my brothers here uh, to complete it. But first of all, you know, once again, we need to get past the error of taking our human cultural ideas of love and hate. Because we have a tendency, we take a, word, a biblical word, you know, God hates the, the, the sinner, or God loves, you know, uh, God loves. And we take those words and we take our human experience of those words and write that large and then we assume that that's God. No, that's not the way it works. Uh, we, if we take our experience and write it large, that's what the Bible calls idolatry. We're inventing our own God. Um, God defines for us what love is. And when, because I have a, let's, let's just say, Josh, you were mentioning the Psalms that talk about God's hatred for the liar, God's hatred for the sinner. And we, we, are, we recoil from that because we take our human experience of hatred, which is impulsive, which is selfish, which is totally impure. I take my experience of hatred and I say, well, that can't be God. Well, God, what, if, what if God's not like me? What, what if God... <laughs> Imagine that. <laughs> Imagine that. <laughs> you know, what if God is infinitely pure and righteous in all that he does? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so now, now we're at a completely different place, and also the same with love. My, my notions of love, my, my love tends to be impulsive, it tends to be fickle, it tends to be, uh, it waxes and wanes. And why? Because I'm human. God's love is not like that. And so let's not take our human experience of, of any of these qualities and imagine we can write them large, and, and that's God. We have to trust God's Word as to what these words mean when we use them, when we ascribe them to God. You know, Jesus described himself as the good shepherd. And in that same passage, he, he said the basically the shepherd protects the sheep from the wolves and the lions and the bears, whereas someone who doesn't really love the sheep, like a hireling, runs away. And so we see this, this reality that true love engenders the hatred of that which brings ill to the object of the love. In other words, if you love sheep, then you're going to hate wolves. Mm -hmm. Not in the abstract, but because they prey on the sheep and you love the sheep. And that's the way Jesus portrayed Mm -hmm. himself. Mm -hmm. And so we see that true love is not this modern idea of love that quote, loves everything, which means they're not against everything. They're just fine with everything. That's not love. That's not love because it doesn't ultimately seek the good of the object of the love, and it's not willing to interpose itself to protect and further the good Mm -hmm. of the object of the love. God's love is a fierce love which means his hatred is a fierce hatred, but his hatred is not like ours. It doesn't arise from annoyance and selfishness. It arises from a a hatred of all of that which is anti-life, anti-good, anti-God, you know, and uh, and therefore that what you know which harms us. And that's the way it, it has to work. And so once you understand that, then really it makes sense that God 
loves us as sinners at the same time that he hates you know what we're doing and the decisions we're making and the motives by which we're doing it in other words it's all coming jesus makes it clear all sin comes starts in the heart you know and then works its way out mm-hmm. um once you understand i think the way love really works true love um and the way it produces a hatred of that which is against um that which is good and 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 blessed then it makes sense that god would be both and do both. Yeah, hatred against that which uh, is against his purposes and plan. Uh, you know, like I, when we were talking here, I was thinking about that a, a statement I'd heard somebody say. You know, I love mankind; it's people I can't stand. <laughs> <laughs> and and you know, God does have a benevolent love for mankind. Yes, he yes. he has a love for mankind. He's he made us in his own image. We were made to 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 love and reflect him and. And so, uh, there is a sense in which there's a there there is a, a benevolent love toward mankind, but that mm-hmm. doesn't mean that uh, God can't have a righteous hatred yeah. uh, against um, these same men. You know, mm-hmm. it doesn't mean that He can't hate some of the things that uh, go on in our lives yeah. and and uh, and be opposed to it and actually punish those things yeah. that we do. Yeah. Well, that famous verse in First John. Four, eight, where it says that God is love. I mean, th- that's the Bible says that about all of God's attributes. God right. is holy. God is righteous. So we're talking about God is love. The very nature of who God is is love, and it, it's not predicated. It's not dependent upon the object that it that right, God yeah. loves. Yeah, the right. loveliness love of that is object. not God. God is love. Right. God is holy. God is just. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just is not God. Holy is not God right. in that respect. Yeah, and the modern the modern world has done a really good job of teaching us that love is an emotion, mm-hmm. and uh, that in the Bible that's simply not what mm-hmm. what the, what the Bible means when it says God is love. In the Bible, God's love is defined by action. God so loved the world that he gave mm-hmm. his only son. Yeah, it wasn't Amen. emotion that got Jesus through the garden that got Amen. Amen. Well, this has been the Gospel for Life. We hope you tune in tomorrow again for this subject on the love of God. 